1050, okay. All right. Uh, that's, that's, that uh, last video there was epic. That, uh, we call them break checks. And uh, we, uh, we had a great, as a youth pastor, you, know, you, look at, you look for ways to torture kids and not get in big trouble. And uh, break checks were my, that was my go-to thing. I loved, I loved the break checks. And uh, you get a busload of kids. And, uh, and I, this is not, I mean, I can get sued for this today, I guess, I suppose. But I, I don't think I can. Statue of limitations, I think, is passed. But, uh, but uh, we, uh, I, I remember one time we got the guys, I, I had a busload of, of just guys, and, and our group was large. So we'd take, we'd split up multiple buses. And, and uh, my wife, initially, she wanted, uh, she had someone else drive because she hates my driving. I mean, literally, my wife hates my driving. And uh, which is okay. She just said, I'm, I'm there to increase her faith. That's what it was all about. And uh, her walk with God is, what's that? Yeah, I, I, <laughs> but uh, so uh, later on in youth ministry, she changed because the guy who would drive her bus with, with the girls, he would literally play tap Sudoku or however you say it while, while driving the bus with a busload of kids. I mean, he'd read books. I mean, just, just insanity what he would do. And so my wife said, you've got to drive, you've got to drive our bus. I don't want to die. If the guys die, it's one thing, but we can't have the girls die. So, so I started driving the bus, but when I was driving the guys bus, here's one of the things we, I had a busload of guys. One of my senior guys was in the back of the bus. And, and, and when I was driving, the kids would all, I mean, I'd have a whole group of kids while I'm driving the bus. They'd be sitting down here on the floorboard right next to me. And we'd be talking, we'd be having a good time. And, uh, and I do brake checks and I'd wait for someone to stand up. And as soon as they stood up, you know, I'd hit the brakes, they'd fall down and just smash on the ground. And, or they'd sit up on the back of the seat. It was a church bus, it wasn't a school bus, so we didn't have the same rules. And they'd sit up on the back of the seat and I'd hit the brakes and they'd down, they'd come. And uh, one of our guys, this guy's great. I talked to him just a few months ago and, and uh, I called his name's Austin. I said, Austin, come here, gotta tell you something. All the guys, and I said, watch this one. And uh, the guys are all sitting next to me. I said, come here, I gotta tell you, come here, I gotta tell you something. He, he got up right next to me and leaned over to whisper, and I hit the brakes, and he went flying forward, down headfirst into the stairwell. Of the, it, was, it was epic, it really was. So, so you wonder what goes through the mind of a youth pastor. Well, I'm, I'm telling you what goes through the mind of a youth pastor. It can be a dangerous thing. I've got notes in here somewhere. I've got to find them again. They're hiding from me. And uh, what a great time that this has been. And, uh, and I said it last night. I, and here's why I think it's such a great time. It's, it's because men are leading the way. And uh, there's, there's, God is using you, your spirit, your attitude. Um, the, the Bible says the men are the head of the home. The Bible does say that. We are to be the head of the home as Christ is the head of the church. But I believe this, Pastor, the, the woman is, I think the woman is the heart of the home. She sets the emotional temperature of the home. But she's also the neck of the home <laughs> that turns the head wherever she wants it to go. And uh, I, I, I've, been, I've been praying real hard. I, I literally, I, I know you hear preachers say this all the time. I've been, I've been praying fervently for God to guide me this morning in this split session. Um, my heart is heavy. Um, and, and, and I'm going to go real personal here this morning. And try and give you some practical things too, but but my heart's heavy. Uh, last week, um, I got a phone call from a former teenager, married and, and ju just a great young man, faithful in church. Uh, he's not a deacon of the church. He could easily be. He's just too young probably at this point uh, to serve in that role, but just a fantastic young man. Hard worker, 
Uh, he's got one of those Duck Dynasty beards growing. You know, it's, it, he said he trimmed it up. I was with him last week. It was down about middle belly. Now it's about right here. And he said he's getting too much food stuck in the beard. So he said I had to trim it down. Just a great young man. His parents are missionaries. Um, great young man. He called me literally a week ago. Uh, I, was, I was in North Carolina preaching revival. And he called me. He said, Brother Kurt, are you in town? He's crying. And I said, Joel, what, what's going on? He said, I just need to talk to you. Are you in town? I said, well, I'm in North Carolina right now. But I said, I, I'll, I'll leave here immediately to help you if you need me to. I said, I mean, the, the kid's crying. And uh, he said, no, no, you don't need to do that. He said, when are you coming back in town? And I told him and uh, got back in town. My wife wasn't with me on that trip. She was, she was speaking at a ladies meeting in Indiana. And so we came back. And when I got back, I gave her a hug and a kiss said, great to see you, but I got to go see Joel. So I got in the car and, and drove to Whataburger, brand new Whataburger in Murfreesboro, and uh, sat down in Whataburger at 10 o'clock on last Thursday evening. And uh, we sat there until about one in the morning. And this young man, 27 years old, maybe, just bawling and crying, beautiful, beautiful wife. He just sat there crying. He said, Brother Kurt, our marriage is falling apart. It's crumbling. I'm, I'm telling you, this is, this is last week. And he said, I said, well, what's going on? He said, he said, to be honest with you, it's my fault. He said, I've allowed things to get in my life that ought not be in my life. He said, I, I've been looking at things I shouldn't look at. I've been doing some things I shouldn't be doing. And he said, I've, I've not had an affair. I've not done anything like that. But he said, Satan has gotten into my life through technology. And he said, it's, it's destroying me. It's destroying my marriage. And he said, I need help. And I sat there at the Whataburger with him. I didn't have my Bible. I didn't know what he was going to talk to me about. I, I didn't go prepared uh, like that. But after I left him, I thought, you know, this, this is not just an isolated incident. Uh, the number one industry, money-making industry in the world is pornography. And I, I know this is a heavy, I, I want to be, I want to come in here and laugh and joke and have a big old time. But the truth is God has literally, he has just hit me with a, with a hammer on this topic today. And uh, I know without a doubt, this is what God wants me to hit. I don't know why, but this is why, what God wants me to hit. You say, brother Kurt, are you tempted with pornography? I'm a preacher. Am I tempted with pornography? The absolute, the answer to that is absolutely. Yes, I'm tempted. And if a man says to you that they're not tempted by pornography, there's either number one, they're wrong, or either number one, they're lying, or number two, uh, I don't know what the number two would be. Because it is a temptation. A normal human man, that's a temptation. Uh, I, was, I picked up a preacher, if I said his name, Pastor, you know his name, he's in heaven now. I picked up a preacher, an evangelist at the airport. This is 1996. I had been a youth pastor for two years. And I picked up this man at the airport, and, and I, he, I, when I picked him up, I said, are you hungry? Can I get you something to eat? And he said, well, you know, I'm kind of hungry. And I said, anything, steak? Can I get you a steak? He said, steak sounds good. Let's get some steak. And there was an Applebee's restaurant, which couldn't have the greatest steak. And he didn't not even get steak. But we pulled into the Applebee's, and we're sitting there. And as a young preacher, I looked at this preacher. He was 73 years old when I talked to him, 73. And, uh, and I looked at him. I said, called him my name. I said, does it? Does it get easier as you get older? We have been talking about 
people who fail, people who mess up. And I said, does, does, it, does it get easier as you get older? I said, and I, I said, I don't mean that as a disrespectful question. You know, in my mind as a 23, 24 year old young man, I'm thinking, you know, the, the older I get, the easier it's going to be. You know, the temptations won't be as great and, and I won't struggle. I won't have these hard times. And doesn't it get easier? And this 73 year old man, he, he chuckled. He said, <laughs> he said, well, let me tell you something. And literally he leaned back in his chair at the Applebee's restaurant and he said this. He said, Brother Copeland, I'm 73. He said, my body doesn't work like it used to. I, I'm not the man I used to be, but he said, I was just in the airport just 30 minutes ago. And he said, a young lady walking in front of me was dressed unbelievably immodest. And he said this, he said, I had to turn and walk down a different corridor of the airport because I didn't want to lust or have bad thoughts in my brain about something I was seeing. And I looked at him and said, you're 73. You creeper! You're no, I didn't say any of that. You know what I learned that day? It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how old you are. My dad, who is 77 years old and has the onsets of dementia, my dad, my mom called and told me, I've been a year, year or two ago, said, your dad is hooked on pornography. I'm thinking, what in the world's going on? What's going on? I, I, I want to go to the Bible here today and look at what God says, not about pornography in particular, but about purity in Christian living as Christians. Can I tell you, your pastor said it a number of times now, your home, the strength of the home is crucial. We've got to have a strong home. Well, can I tell you, if we're dabbling in sin, and, and I, 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 hit, I said pornography out loud, I probably shouldn't have said any certain topic because we, we may say, well, I'm not struggling pornography right now. Uh, but your struggle may be something else. Maybe you got bitterness down deep inside. Maybe you got unforgiveness. Maybe you haven't talked to a family member in months or years. Uh, we got unforgiveness or anger or bitterness or resentment. Or, or maybe you just you, you look at your wife and you're not happy. Or, or your children are driving you crazy. Uh, we all have our issues that we face. And so I, I'm, I'm going this morning to Psalm chapter 101. David wrote here, just an incredible passage of Scripture. Psalm 101. Um, I've written little notes. I love to write in my Bible in the, in the margin. I've got a wide margin Bible. And so as I'm reading, I read 1 Samuel 20, or 2 Samuel 23, 22 today. You want to get it, your battery charged? Read 2 Samuel 22. I was there in the hotel room this morning, got up early. Early for me is like, you know, 9.15, or excuse me, 8.45 before I'd be here at 9. And I, I'm just kidding, it was, it was earlier than that. I was reading 2 Samuel 22. My, oh my, what a powerful chapter. David just rejoices over the goodness of God. This is after Bathsheba. This is after Absalom. This is after, I mean, this guy has gone through it, and yet he stops and says, God, I, I love you. And so it's a song of praise. It really is. It's an amazing chapter. It has nothing to do with what we're going to talk about today. But here in Psalm 101, you ever read a passage of Scripture that smacks you in the face? Psalm 101 is that for me. It's like the Holy Spirit of God with a two-by-four just waylays me right in the face. Psalm 101, we'll read the whole chapter, all eight verses. The Bible says this, I will sing of mercy and judgment. Unto thee, O Lord, will I sing. I will behave myself wisely and in a perfect way. O when wilt thou come unto me? I will walk within my house 
with a perfect heart, I encourage you, if you mark in your Bible, circle that. Underline it. Highlight. I will walk in my house with a perfect heart. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them which turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. A forward heart shall depart from me. I will not know a wicked person. Whoso privily slandereth his neighbor, him will I cut off. Him that hath a high look and a proud heart will not I suffer. Mine eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land that they may dwell with me. He that walketh in a perfect way, he shall serve me. He that worketh deceit shall not dwell within my house. And now it hurts. Anyway, I'm going to start preaching along the way. He that telleth lies shall not tarry in my sight. I will early destroy all the wicked off the land or of the land, that I may cut off all wicked doers from the city of the Lord. I look at Psalm 101. Uh, what I love about the Psalms, I, I, I love to read. I'll read a Psalm every day, and I love reading the Psalms because David is so relatable. David struggled. You read one, you read one chapter of Psalms, and he's like, "Lord, I love you. You're the greatest ever." You read the next Psalm. He's, Lord, I want to kill these people. Give me a, I'm, I'm going to slaughter them. Destroy these people, God. And the next chapter is, God, forgive me for my feelings. He's bipolar, I think. He's you know, up and down, and he can't keep a, an even, even kill. You know what I love about him? What I've learned is, Pastor, and again, you feel free to interrupt me anywhere along the line. What I love about this is David is real life. Because in my life, I remember hearing a preacher say one time, years when I was younger, years ago, he said, he said, you know, the Christian life, you ought to be just as consistent as can be. You ought not let the highs be too high and the lows be too low. And he said, that is, can I tell you, I've never gotten there. Here, here's my life. My life is constantly up and down. And, and I may go to a, a revival meeting and, whoo, man, I'm on the mountaintop and everything is wonderful. And I feel like I can charge hell with a squirt gun. You know, I feel like I can take on Satan one-on-one. And, and then there's the other times you like Satan attacks you. The air conditioner goes out. You're like, what in the world? Or, or you know, the, 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 the family is up in arms and everything's going wrong or the business is going bad or the boss is ready to fire and you're boom, down in the valley and, and, and then you go back to church and you hear a message, boom, right back on the mountaintop. And, oh, right back up. Man, that is life. That's David. David was up and David was down and David was up and David was down. I'm not, making, I'm not saying that's the way life ought to be. I think life ought to be more consistent than that. Yes, as a Christian, for sure. However, that's not life. We all face those hard times. We all face those times where Satan just seems to, it seems like he's unloading on us directly. And, uh, and, and, and oh, that's a whole other message. But the truth is, is sometimes life is tough. Life stinks. Here, David, he, he lays out each, each verse. Verse 1, he talks about singing the Lord. Verse number 2, he talks about how he's going to behave. Verse number 3, he talks about purity. Verse number 4, he talks about the heart of the matter. Verse number 5, he talks about the relationship. The 6 is being faithful. The 7 is honesty. And eight is judgment. But I look at this passage of Scripture, the thing that sticks out to me are just a couple verses, especially verse number three. Verse two, verse number three, the end of verse number two, I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I'm going to act, I'm going to behave myself wisely, I'm going to do what I know pleases God. Can I tell you, uh, my wife is not with me 24-7. She's not there all the time. 
I, I travel in evangelism full-time. I, I say full-time. I am full-time. When I'm home for two or three days in a row, I have a man who, who allows me to, to help him on an excavation site. So I get out on the excavation site on an excavator or on a skid steer or in a dump truck, an off-road dump truck, and I have a great time out there. It is a great stress reliever. You get out there with a, an excavator and, and take that bucket down and dig 10 feet in the ground with one swipe and big enough to, to as a matter of fact, one of the guys I work for, has a, he was arrested uh, 32 years ago for murder. And he did. He, he murdered two people, he and about three other guys. And uh, he got a life sentence. And uh, 28 years later, he paroled out and he, he works on the job site with us. So I'm working with a convicted felon murderer who murdered two people. And he's right there. He really is a very nice guy. He really is. And uh, it's kind of, it seems weird to say it that way, but he really is a, a nice guy. He's on the excavator and he'll dig a big old hole. His dad, his brother is the boss. His brother is the guy in charge. And there's five of us on the crew when I'm there. Four of them are there faithfully. But he'll, he'll dig that big old hole and he'll, he'll lean out the side of the truck to his brother who knew that the crime took place. By the way, there's a whole other message here too. But, but the, his brother, they were 19 years old when the crime took place. And his brother wasn't at the crime. His brother had nothing to do with it. But the, those four guys came home from murdering two people to rob them for drug money. Came home. They got 150 bucks too, by the way. I mean, they really loaded up. And they got home and they told Tim, my boss, what they had done. And Tim didn't tell anyone. And Tim was arrested too, my boss. He was arrested too. And he has a felony prison record for accessory after the fact. He knew about it and didn't turn him in. So here, these guys are out here on the job site, and Abe, the one who committed the murder, he'll, he'll reach out with that bucket, and he'll dig a big old hole, and he'll lean out to his, his brother, the boss, and say, hey, that hole right there is big enough to bury a body. And I'm standing there, I'm like, oh, I'm not going to, I'm just going to get away from these guys. <laughs> Where am I going to go? And uh, we have a great time. I, I love doing that stuff. Can I, you get out there and you start, you start to, uh, burning some energy and some, some aggression and stuff like that. But I look at this passage of scripture and David says that I want to behave myself wisely. I want to act in the right way. I want to do the things in my life that bring glory and honor to God. But the truth is, is, uh, you know, sometimes it's easy to do wrong. Your, your wife is not with you all the time, right? She's, she's not over your shoulder watching what you're, what you're doing. And so Satan comes in and Satan starts tempting we all face temptation. You say, Brother Kurt, is temptation sin? Well, you answer that. Is temptation sin? No. no. Temptation's not sin. Was Jesus tempted? Yeah. yeah. Did Jesus sin? No. Temptation is not sin. Yielding to temptation is sin. Yielding to temptation. I, I'm not tempted with, with drugs. I, I've never been to... First time I saw drugs, was I was a youth... I've been a youth pastor for about 15 years. First time I ever saw drugs. I was probably 35 years old, first time I ever saw drugs. And I was at the juvenile detention center visiting one of our teenagers who gotten arrested. And in the, in the lobby of the juvenile detention center, they had a display case on the wall. And they had cocaine in a little baggie in this, this locked display case. Then they had marijuana. I said, that's what marijuana looks like. Oh, that's, I had no clue. I literally, I guess sheltered life. And, and I had no clue. We saw weapons that kids had made. And all that. Can, can I tell you, temptation, drugs as a temptation, that doesn't tempt me. I, I have never once looked at a beer and said, hmm. I bet that tastes good. That's not a temptation to me. I, I don't think that that's I, honestly, you say, well, brother Kurt, what are your temptations? My answer to that is always this. My answer is none yet. It's none of your business what my temptations are. Truth is we all face them. Your fast, your, your pastor faces temptations. We all face temptation. We all face temptation. 
Temptation is not sin. David here in this passage of Scripture, what he's doing is he's putting up some barriers around his life so that he can minimize the temptation that comes into his life. Psalm 101 to me is a recipe for avoiding temptation. Temptation or avoiding yielding to temptation. So here, here's what David says, and, and, and I just want to give you some practical uh, advice, very practical things today. How can I stay pure in my life, in my thought life, in my actions? What are some things I can do in my life to set up some, some boundaries? And, and I wrote these things down, kind of a shotgun thing as I was, I was just sitting there last night praying and, and talking to, to God. I, I wrote down number one, lead by example. How can I avoid temptation? How can I resist temptation in my life? Number one, lead by example. I, you say, well, what? No, how's that helping me? Well, if you lead by example, what that means is you set the tone for everyone around you. You, you, you all do the bodybuilding. I do too. I know you can tell, you know, it's, and, uh, my bodybuilding is with a fork and a spoon. Is that my body? You lead by example. It would be, it'd be one thing for you to stand up and say, hey, guys, here's how you do the bodybuilding. And, and you guys are sitting over there eating a Snickers bar, drinking a Coca-Cola. And people are going to look at you like, seriously? Because you're not leading by example. You have children. Isn't it, isn't it sad how sometimes we say, hey, do what I say, not what I do? Oh, we, we may not even say that out loud. My dad was a, a chain smoker, Marlboro. He's a Marlboro man. And uh, not, not anymore, but he used to smoke. And my dad would smoke. Literally, I don't know that I ever saw my dad. He probably was in our family pictures with a cigarette. And right before they sat the picture, he moved it behind his back to take the picture. I mean, that, that was my dad. He would light the next cigarette with the cigarette he had just finished. And, uh, and literally, constantly smoking a cigarette. I, I didn't know him. And I remember my dad... Taking that cigarette out of his mouth. Son, don't you ever touch them. They'll kill you. Don't you? Don't you ever touch these things. And I remember thinking, wait a second. You're telling me not to do what you're doing right now. Hey, can I tell you, the Bible is replete with, example, with, with, with verses that teach us lead by example. You take the stand. You be the leader. You be the one. We have examples in society in our life where people will say, do this, but they don't do it themselves. We have preachers who stand up and say, hey, make sure you live your life this way. But then you find out later, well, they're not living their life that way either. Lead by example. The Bible says this, let your light so shine among men that they may see your good works. And glorify your Father. It's I, I, I don't want to let my light shine so that people come up behind me and say, "Oh, Brother Gobby, man, you are the man. You are the man. You." By the way, and there's just times to, to give honor to whom honors due. But he's not living his Christian life for us to say, "Well, what, what a guy." He's living his Christian life for us to say, "What a God. What a God." Lead by example. At home, if you have children, can I tell you, lead by example. Lead by example. I, I, don't, I put down number two. This one's tough. This one's tough. He says in verse number two, uh, he doesn't say it in verse, I put down point number two. Be open and honest with your wife. That's tough. Chances are you've probably not sat down with your wife recently and said, hey, honey, I'm struggling in this area. 
Can I tell you, being open and honest is a missing element in marriages? It's almost non-existent. We want to present ourselves as if we are flawless. We all struggle. It's easy for us to point out the struggles in someone else's life. I came home from this meeting with, with Joel, this teenager, former teenager. And it was one in the morning. My wife, is, she wasn't asleep. She's laying in the bed with a computer open. And she's on Facebook Marketplace. <laughs> she spends her life on Facebook Marketplace. And she's, on, she's there, and I, I walk in, and my eyes are red. I've been crying. I walk in, she said, what's going on? I said, well, I said, he's struggling. She said, obviously, he's struggling. He wouldn't talk to you like this. He wasn't struggling. She said, what's going on? I said, well, he, he was dabbling in some pornography and, and stuff like that. My wife put her head down. And she looked back at me. This is, this is five days ago, six days ago. My wife looked at me and she said, how are you doing in that area? You, you know what our normal reaction is to something like that? Oh, I'm great. Yeah, you don't know. And she, she literally said, do you face that temptation? And I had the choice to make, do I be honest with my wife? Or do I pretend like I'm some saint that, you know, is perfect? One o'clock in the morning, I looked at my wife and I said, yes, temptation is real for me too. I am tempted. You know what her answer was? I don't understand that. My wife, I don't understand that. It, and her words, am I not enough? In, in her brain, she's thinking, I, I should fulfill all those desires, all those wants, all those, and, and in a, a perfect world, yes, she should. But Satan works it so masterfully in our life where he throws other things in our, in our path to cause the temptation, to get us detoured off the path that he wants us to have. David says, here, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. I hate the work of them which turn aside. It shall not cleave unto me. He says in this passage of Scripture, I'm not going to put anything in front of my path that causes me to get detoured, to look the wrong direction, to go the different... He, so can I encourage you to be open and on? Our, I got home at 1 o'clock in the morning. I don't think we went to bed until about 2, 30, 3 o'clock in the morning that night because my wife wanted to talk it through. We do this premarital counseling. We say this uh, We say all the time, uh, honesty is the best policy. And communication is crucial. Those two phrases we say in premarital counseling probably a hundred times. Communication is crucial. Honesty is always the best policy. We're professionals at covering things up. David here, he, he acknowledges the fact that God sees and knows everything. Uh, Psalm, Psalm uh, 51, that's his, that's his uh, repentance passage. It's not the passage I'm trying to think of. It'll come to me in a minute. So number one, lead by example. Number two, be open and honest with your wife. Can I challenge you? Sometime along the way, sit down and tell your wife, hey, here's some things I struggle with. I'm not saying you just open the, the can of worms and, and unload. That, that, you, you work your way through that one. But be open and honest. By the way, it's easier to be open and honest when you've not yielded to the temptation. It's much easier to be open and honest. So I would encourage you to be right with it, number one. Number three, number one, lead by example. Number two, be open and honest. Number three, never put yourself in a compromising position. Ah, 
The, the Bible says it this way. Sorry to get the Bible in on this. The Bible says, make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. We are professionals at putting ourselves in a place where it's easy to yield to temptation, where we know we're not going to get caught. We can, we can work our system. We can work the situation out. We can, we can set things up to where, hey, I can get by with it. But I'm, I'm here to tell you today, never put yourself in a compromising position. In other words, if, if this is the temptation, then, then put guards up on this. Say, why are you talking to us about this this morning? I'm telling you, if it, traveling to management, pastor, you're, you're with people all the time. You, you know this better than I know it. You're a whole lot smarter than I am. Truth is, is I, I talk to people every week of my life who've thrown away their future because of this device. Back when we were kids, we didn't have these things. Back when we were kids, it had to be the neighbor, neighbor kid or, or your cousin whose dad stored some magazines in a hidden spot. And the, the, the sun. That, that's how it worked back when we were kids. Now it's the click of a button. And this is real easy to do wrong on. So make no provision for the flesh. So how do I not make provision for the flesh? Does that mean I don't need a cell phone? Well, I mean, that may be an option, but probably most of us have to function using one of these things. Chances are you don't have one of those things hanging on the side of your wall with a big cord on it anymore. That, that's probably, you don't want to pay two phone bills, so you got rid of that one. So this is your phone. So in order to stay in communication, you got to have this. So what do you do otherwise? Well, be open and honest with your spouse. And, and, and let her have access to it. my password is my anniversary 010194 you can check anything on my devices anytime and the reason i can say that with such confidence is my wife checks everything and, and by the way i want her to say well you're henpecked no 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 no. i'm trying not to throw away my marriage i want to protect my marriage because i want to protect my marriage i say hey honey here's everything about my wife i think i told some folks yesterday we were sitting around the table my wife gets every text i get we share the same iCloud account. We signed up. She said, I want your iCloud account. And by the way, it's very confusing because if you look at my picture on my phone, it's my wife's picture, my name, her picture. And if I change my picture on my phone, it changes the picture on her phone to be, instead of being her, it's, so I'd rather look at her than me anyway. So, it's, so my contact, it, it really is confusing. So Brother Kenny, if you call me and I missed your call, it comes as a red call that was missed on my phone, on my log, phone log, it shows as a red call on my wife's phone too. So she doesn't know if you're calling me or calling her, which keeps me out of a lot of trouble because I don't have any hidden phone calls. If I make a phone call, it shows up on my wife's phone that she made that phone call. And uh, so there's, there's great, and I'm ahead of myself because number four is have accountability. My, my, my wife gets the texts. I had a guy who used to text me messages on my phone. That, they, they weren't inappropriate. They were just guy talk being stupid is really what it was. It wasn't, it wasn't wrong. It wasn't sinful. But it was, it was just stuff that, that my wife probably wouldn't really appreciate too much. And uh, my wife read the one text. She said, whoa, what is that? What is he, you know, what, what's he saying that for? And, and I said, oh, he's, just being, he's just being dumb. That's all it is. He's just, he just trying to be funny. And, uh, and so I sent him a text back that I knew my wife was going to get. And I said, hey, just so you know, my wife gets all of your texts you send me as well. He sent me back the next one. He said, oh, my. <laughs> it's helped me. It helps me. It helps me when I send a text. Do I text other ladies? Yes, there's times I have to text a lady. 
but I, my wife gets a copy of it, which gives me great accountability. So I'm not stressing over the fact of, oh, my wife, you know, I probably shouldn't say this because my wife might, what if my wife, my wife is going to see it. So there's great accountability in that. There's great accountability in that. I want to encourage you to be accountable. It may be that, that maybe you can't at this point be real accountable with your wife. Can I tell you, God gave you a family here too you can be accountable with? The accountability. Uh, my best friend, his name's John Williams. He pastors in, uh, in, in uh, Georgia right now. And uh, he, we went to high school together, went to college together. Just a great guy. He is, he is my best friend outside of my wife. He'll call me. I get a call from him about once a week. If I don't answer the call, his, his voicemail is something like this. Hey, Copeland, what are you looking at? Literally, that's it. And then he'll call me every name under the sun. You're an idiot. Man, he, he, I, I you're so gay. You're, I mean, he just, he's blasting me. I mean, I, I actually used to listen to those voicemails on speakerphone in front of my family. And then I was like, whoa, 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 stop that. You know, you can't, you can't say those things, you know. And, uh, but then he gets into the conversation of, are, are you living right? Are you doing right? I have a guy who'll call me. He knows what questions to ask because he faces the same thing I face, that accountability. David said here, I, I want to be able to behave myself wisely. I want God to be pleased with my life. I want the heart of the matter. In, uh, in verse number four, a forward heart shall depart from me. I will not know a wicked person. I'm not going to associate. I'm not going to be part of that wicked, wicked lifestyle. I want my heart to be pure. So, so two more things here. Uh, number one, lead by example. Number two, be open and honest with your wife. Number three, never put yourself in a compromising position. Number four, have accountability. Iron sharpeneth iron, the Bible says. By the way, don't have accountability with someone who's going to betray you. What I mean is, don't go to someone, hey, I need your help with this. I, you know, I, I, I think I might be becoming, becoming an alcoholic. I need you. And then he's going to put on Facebook, you know, the next day, hey, pray for my friend who's, who, you know, struggling with alcoholism. Okay, don't go to that guy. If you know someone's a gossip, don't go to him. Don't go to him. Uh, number four, understand this. God sees and knows everything. Number five, God sees and knows everything. God knows what goes on in the deepest, darkest recess of your mind. God knows everything we view. God knows everything we think. Um, that, that's not a scary thing. That could be a good thing. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. Uh, when I read that verse, here's what I think of when I read that verse. It, maybe just years of being with teenagers. But here's what I think of when I think of that verse. I think of, I want God to catch me doing right. Because God's watching. I'd rather God see me doing right than God see me doing wrong. So I'm going to let God catch me. We always think, well, I don't want to get caught doing wrong. I, 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 I want to get caught doing right. So I don't look at that verse as a negative in my life. I look at that verse as a positive. God's watching my life, and I want to live my life to please God. I want God to know I want to live a pure, clean life before Him. I want God to be pleased. God knows and sees everything. And then lastly, 
Understand this, sin has consequences. He says in verse number seven, he that worketh deceit shall not dwell within my house. He that telleth lies shall not tarry in my sight. I will early destroy all the wicked of the land. Then I may cut off all wicked doers from the city of the Lord. Talks about that judgment that follows. There's always consequences for our sin. Always consequences. I, I, with, with the young people, I would take a two by four, a little piece of two by four, and I'd put that two by four on, on the pulpit, and, and, uh, and I'd say to them, I said, this two by four represents your life. And some of y'all are just like a dumb block of wood. This was just joking with the guys. And, uh, and I'd pull up a big framing nail and get a hammer, and I'd take that hammer on the pulpit, and I'd take that hammer, and I'd hold that nail in its place, and I'd drive that nail down in that piece of wood. Not all the way in, but but good way in. And I'd say, this is our life is this piece of wood. That nail represents sin in our life. And you say, Brother Kurt, I can I can get forgiveness. And the answer to that is yes. You can get forgiveness. And God is faithful. He's just. First John 1 9. He will forgive. He is he is plenteous in mercy. His his mercies are new every morning. I mean God is so faithful. It is, it is wonderful to think that God will forgive us of everything. That's wonderful. And I'll tell those teenagers, you take that hammer and you pull that sin back out of the life. But the problem is you look at the piece of wood and there's always the scar left from the sin. Psalm 51, and I challenge you to read it later. Our time's up. I challenge you to read Psalm 51 later. Psalm 51 is David's confession chapter. David sinned with Bathsheba and he said, it's me, Lord. It's me. I'm wrong. I'm the sinner. I did wrong. He doesn't blame it on his mom. He doesn't blame it on his dad. He doesn't blame it on, on however many wives he had. He, he, he doesn't blame it on, on not being at battle like he should have been at battle. He literally stands before God and he says, it's me against thee and thee only have I sinned. He says, I have done wickedly. I have done wrong. David looked inwardly in his own life and said, it's my fault, God. I am sorry. I look at the fact that sin has consequences, there's always a price to pay for your sin. You can get forgiveness. God forgave David for his sin. The problem is, is God had to judge David for his sin too. That baby who was conceived illegitimately, God took. The children of Israel, God punished. David suffered greatly over that. But yet David is the one who says in Psalm uh, one thirty. My glasses back on, 139. David says, God, search me, know me. Matter of fact, will you just flip there real quick, Psalm 139? I, I love the Psalms. Psalm 139. This is an amazing passage. David, I, and again, I'd encourage you to read it uh, later on today. Psalm 139. Uh, David stands before I'm in mean, 135. I was thinking, that's not right. Psalm 139. I want to key on those last two verses. Verse 1, he says, O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsettings, my uprisings. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. Uh, listen to verse number 4. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, Thou knowest all together. In other words, God, You know everything about me. God, there's nothing I'm hiding from You. Um, verse, verses 13 through 16, David talks about how God created him exactly how he wanted him to be. He, he formed him in his mama's belly, and he rejoices over the fact that God made him. Verse 17 and 18, God has great plans for David. 
How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. God has those, those thoughts for you too. But he gets down to verse 23 and 24. Wow. David, a man after God's own heart. This is the latter years of David. And David finally comes to the place in his life and he says, God, I want to be an open book to you. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. You know what David's saying? David's saying, God, I grant you permission today. Not that he needs our permission, but God did give you a free will. God, I grant you permission today. Know everything about me. God, there's not going to be a secret sin that I'm hiding in the back of my heart. God, I want you to have everything in my life. And can I tell you, men, we're losing our homes in America because we as men, we allow little things to grow into bigger things and bigger things until we finally get to a point in our life where we're like, ah, oh, man, where, how did I get here? What's going on? And the truth is, if we'll stop today and say, hey, I'm going to put some barriers. I'll put some guards up in my life. I don't want to yield. I can tell you this, much godlier people than me, much, much more disciplined people than me have failed miserably. I know this, I'm just one bad decision away from being in that same boat. I'm one bad decision away from that. Because of that, I want to put some guards up. I'm going to put some guards up. I, I, I'm not going to put myself in a position late at night where I, I, I'm extra tempted. I, I'm not going to put myself, I'm not going to drive, if, if alcohol is an issue, I'm not, I'm not going to go to that, that bar. Yeah, my friends are there. I'm just going to hang. If, if that's a temptation, I'm not going to put myself there. I'll put up some guards, some barriers in my life because I want God to see me as the husband, as the father of my home. I want God to see my life as wanting to live for Him. But I'm here to tell you, that is a day-by-day day battle. It's not like today, oh, yeah, I know that, Brother Kurt, and I'm going to do that today. Brother Keely, you know this. Every day, Paul said, I die daily. So today, I'm, I'm laying on, my, on the altar. God, here's my life. I'm going to be pure in my life today. Tomorrow, literally, I pray this every day. God, I want to be pure and holy before you today. Man, I struggle. Watch me drive. I struggle. I struggle. My wife's sitting in the seat next to me. I can't say this with her in the room. My wife's sitting in the seat next to me. She, she wants to drive for me literally every time. She wants to drive. She used to tell me where I'm supposed to go, how I'm supposed to do it, how I'm supposed to do that. And, and there's times I sit there, I'm like, oh, that telephone pole right there looks really good right now. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't ever think that. There's times you, you, your old flesh rears its nasty head and, and temptations. We all face temptation. But I'm going to put some barriers up in my life. So I don't yield to that temptation. I want to be pure before God. And as a man, as a husband, we must be pure. Let's be pure. Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for this time together. And God, I pray that you bless uh, the remainder of the conference. But Lord, would you bless our homes? God, would you help us as men to lead the way we ought to lead Lord, to, to be that man who determines I'm going to be pure 
I'm going to get help. I may, I may need to be accountable. I may need to put some barriers up in my life that, that help protect me from this. But God, I want to be pure. God, I love you. And I want to please you with my life. God, give us revival in our homes because of the purity in our heart. And God will give you the glory for it all in Jesus' name. Amen.